Live from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the Total Education Show, the talk shop for teachers, parents, and administrators. Here's your host of the show, Neil Haley, the Total Tutor. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Neil Haley Show. You can check me out on Twitter, at TotalTutor, and NeilHaley.com, and I am so excited about my guest. When I think of uh, great television, I think of Red Eye. I think of the the genius idea of talking politics and news and laughing the entire time and really not hurting people's feelings as much as we know other stations do. So I'm excited to welcome the program, former host of Fox News Red Eye and also Fox News contributor Tom Shalhoub. Tom, thanks for calling. How are you? Good. Good morning. Yes, I'm so glad to hear that. I mean, we all miss Red Eye. Those were great days. I came to Red Eye as a fan. I used to watch the show. And then as a guest, just I was just glad to be part of the family. So when they offered me the job as host, I mean, it was a total dream job. So I was so lucky to have been able to host it for two years. Absolutely, Tom. And, and so you said you were a fan. So basically, how did, you, how did you first get connected just to be a contributor on Red Eye? How did that happen? Did you know Greg? Yeah. Andrew Breitbart. Really? It was Andrew Breitbart. I wrote him a letter. I used to watch the show because, you know, 3 in the morning, sometimes I'd be up uh, or I'd be on the road, late-night gigs. And as a stand-up, I would watch the show. And I knew I could do the show as a guest, but I almost it – was, it was like my own private little – you know, I liked – as a fan of the show, I was nervous about doing it because I thought it could ruin it for me, you know? But I, I got together with Andrew Breitbart in a bar in New York, and he said, you've got to do uh, Red Eye. you got to meet Greg Guttel. So he introduced me to Greg, and that's what started things off. And, and there's nothing like it, that, that television and, uh, and how Greg started out with Red Eye and th- stuff. You think about specifically enough, that's the point I'm, I'm making is that really when you guys, you, you, you make fun of people, but you don't do it in a way that's hurtful. You really do it as funny, and that's that's just great television. I mean, that's honestly, especially late nights, you want to watch that and say, oh, my gosh, I didn't know about this news article. Or I didn't know about this thing. And then you throw in an, an animal video, and everyone laughs, right? Yep. That's that's the best thing. <laughs> and, plus, and we would have the most diverse uh, panel yeah. in television. You know, people used to say, oh, Fox News, what do you guys with the, you know, uh, a lot of people, they had this perception, oh, you guys, uh, conservatives, whatever. Just tell us conservative, I'm conservative. But our panel, we would, almost every night, we would have uh, conservatives, we'd have a liberal, a far-left liberal, we'd have a libertarian, and we would have a comedian, and who knows what, you know, what ideology they are. But it was always a great mix of people. And and all walks of life, and and all funny, and 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 working with Greg, I'm sure you couldn't. When you worked with Greg, you probably couldn't stop laughing every second, right? This guy is so hilarious. Oh, it was great, and he was also he would get out of the way. The great thing about Greg, and that's what I learned from him as a host, he's so funny. But he would save his funny lines. He would set us up. You know, Greg, because you know you, you write a story and you think of a joke, but Greg wouldn't do the joke. He would he would do the setup, and it asked you a question, and he'd let you come in with the punchline. So, you know, when I started hosting the show, I realized it's like, I don't have to be funny all the time. I kind of have to let my guests be funny. Now let's get to the book, Tom. And you're going to laugh about my background. I have five kids of my own. Okay. So when I, I started, I, I was uh, uh, pre- preparing for the interview, listening to some of your interviews and stuff. Uh, and I was like, 
Holy cow. Uh, so you grew up in a big family as well. And I believe, I love, I, I think that dads are not mean enough now. I don't think that dads want to be disciplinarians. They hand it over to their wives to do all the discipline and they wonder, why are my kids out of control? Why do they don't listen to mom? Because the dads are kind of in the background. And, and this is what I love about you telling the story of how you grew up. Exactly. Well, look, if you've got five kids, you're an honorary mean dad already. Because when yes. we, part of the mean dad philosophy is that when we were growing up in the 70s, everybody had big families. There were five kids in my family, but across the street, there were 12 kids. And down the street, there were eight kids. So parents, uh, they had no choice but to give kids a lot of freedom. They had discipline while they were at home. But while we were outside the house, you know, my mother's motto was, get out of my hair. She'd open the door and kick us out. And then we were in a world of children. You know, do you remember there was no parents around? We lived 90% of our lives outside of the watchful eye of parents. And there were, we had to deal with bullies. We had to deal with, uh, you know, playground rivalries. But we had to work it out on our own. So there was a lot of freedom, even though there was a lot of discipline. Exactly. That's that, that's a great point. And so the same thing. My wife, when she gets home, she starts cooking. She works full time. You can't believe that one, Tom. I, I, I don't know how I do it. I, I don't know how I even survive with her working. But she just they go ahead and they uh, throw them outside in our big backyard. Go play. And, you know, and they try to figure out something to do and, and the, the variety of ages and things like that. But when we're in the house, hey. There's here's these ex- expectations. We're out in the community. Here's our expectations. And my wife says, well, why do we have to redirect so much? Tom, you could tell her why. It's because we are playing zone defense, right? We're not playing man-to-man like most families do. Exactly. And there was a tremendous bonding in place. Do you remember the, uh, the, uh, it was the, the Miracle on Ice, that 1980 uh, uh, hockey team? Yeah. They bonded together. The team bonded together because the coach was their enemy. So, you know, that guy is the model for me and dad because my dad was so scary. My brother and I would bond because we both lived in fear of the guy. So, you know, me and dad end up making kids work together better. And do you agree? So, so you you think you have to be mean with a big family? But what is your what is your take overall, Tom? In the fact that you said that I, I was listening to some of your interviews that your dad, in, in so many ways, uh, you were mad at him many times because and there, and because there was discipline and we're missing that discipline. So and and, and that shaped your life, right? Absolutely, and I feel like I was able to, the stuff I'm able to deal with as an adult is because of the way I grew up. But believe me, I wasn't happy about it when I was a kid. My dad, he wouldn't let me quit my paper route. I, I had this terrible paper route. You know, remember collecting? Oh, yeah, I remember. Oh, gosh, collecting. yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> they made you collect the money for the paper, and everybody would hide, and, you know, you never have, you were always short money. And then you get, there was no uh, leash laws in the 70s, so you'd always get eaten by dogs on your paper route. I wanted to quit. My dad said, you can't quit. I said, what do you mean I can't quit? I can't quit my paper? He said, no, you can't. I was so mad at my dad. He didn't understand what I was going through, but he didn't, you know, he didn't care. He said, you're not going to quit. Now, I'm almost still mad at him about that, but the thing is, mean dads are willing to wait 50 years for a thank you. Now I'm beginning to understand why my dad did the things he did, but... You know, he didn't, uh, you know, before I went to bed at night, I didn't say, oh, thanks, Dad. Thanks for thinking of me. No, I went to bed angry. 
Yeah, exactly. And so I think if, if parents are like so much, Tom, then there's something going on. They should be someone that we, as parents, should be people that you can have the conversation as a kid, but you should you should respect them. But yet you shouldn't be like, hey, I want to be best friends with you, right? Because then they just take advantage. Kids, that's how kids are. Absolutely. So the, the, the you know, I get a lot of questions since the book came out because people say, well, what about, you know, there's such a thing as abuse. Well, of course, mean dads, what I'm saying, are disciplinarian dads, but they always act in service of raising good children. So they're mean because they want their kids to grow up right. It's, it's, there, there's a, a great difference between that and real abuse, which is obviously real and it's a tragedy. Yeah. But the, uh, but as a result, you know, the world was tougher. Like I said, even my mother, she was she was in line with my mean dad. I would come home and say, oh, uh, Chris Sullivan just pushed me. And she'd say, yeah, punch him back. <laughs> so I had to go out and fight my own battles. But, you know, it was she wasn't hovering over me all the time. But as a result, I learned and I became more resilient. Exactly. It became more resilient and learned from it. And you understood that there's adversity and you're not going to get everything you want like our generation today. Me, me, me. I want, want, want. You know, hey, sometimes as a big family, you're going to be lucky to get anything to eat some nights, right? Or it's it's fend for yourself time. Exactly. Well, we, you know, we always had food on the table, but my parents didn't. They came from the Depression and they were... Uh, you know, they were cheap. We never took a vacation. I used to say, my dad, are we going to go to Disney World? He says, why would I take you to Disney World? You got the Viewmaster. <laughs> and then that, that helped you understand. Understand when you get these opportunities, right, Tom, that this is this is uh, worthwhile because of what you had to go through. Uh, absolutely. It's such a unbelievable thing. And uh, the feedback for the book so far, great, Tom. Everything's going well with what you're doing, all the different... Going great. Yeah. Selling books. And I'm I love hearing it. I love hearing from people that read the book, and for even people who were born in the in the fifties, sixties, uh, or the seventies, it, it kind of spans generations. But I'm getting a lot of feedback that say, you know, this this is my childhood. So, what advice would you give my kids, being in a big family, especially my oldest, that's kind of spread out our ages? Uh, what advice would you give growing up in the fam- a big family like you did, Tom? Well, I mean, I'd say bond together, work together against your dad. See, first of all, you got to have a mean dad, and then the kids got to get together and they got to work against the dad. But for some of these millennials, uh, you know, who are getting married now, you got to look to. The, we're not gonna, we're not gonna raise our kids the same way that we were raised. I can't be a mean dad like my dad, but I, I want to pull a little bit of that mean dad philosophy into the modern era. I'm always telling my kids, work it out. You know, we go out in the playground, and the kids might be fighting with each other, and they come up to me, and they say, look, somebody just hit me. And I, I say, work it out. I'm getting to be known in the neighborhood as the work it out dad. Awesome. Fantastic. Okay, the best place we can find information on you, Tom, we can pick up the book in all finer bookstores, but where can we find info on you, Tom? Where's the best place we can go? Well, TomShilu.com. Everything's TomShilu, you know, T-O-M-S-H-I-L-L-U-E.com. And the book's on there. And then we've got, uh, you know, you can find my podcasts and everything. And, you know, I want to hear from people. You can email me through my site, too. So I love, if anyone's reading the book, uh, I love getting feedback and, and talking to people.
All right, Tom, we got to bring back Red Eye. We got to keep this, uh, get the, 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 I want it back. So let's see if it ever, we get the show back Absolutely. on the air, you know, because again, it's something that late nights, let's, let's watch something that's going to make us laugh for sure. Not just cry. So good talking to you, Tom. Best of Absolutely. luck. And uh, we love Red Eye and we love all you, what you do. And uh, everyone needs to pick up his book. All right. Thanks, Kent, for calling, Tom. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Take care. Thanks. Okay. See you later. Bye-bye. You're listening to Neil Haley's show. We'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Neil Haley show. You can check me out on Twitter at TuttleTutor and NeilHaley.com. I'm a huge basketball fan. Played uh, Division Three college basketball. I'm a huge fan of his father, but he is amazing as well. And we're going to talk the NBA today compared to when I played and his dad played. We're about the same age, so I'm excited to welcome the program. Slam NBA Slam Dunk Champion, Indiana Pacer, Glenn Robinson the third. Glenn, thanks for calling. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Fantastic, man. When you talk about your dad being the big dog, how how much did you learn from him watching his film and then also specifically learning from him as a dad to to be as successful as you are today? Yeah, um, you know, growing up, my dad always told me, you know, don't don't play basketball because I did, you know, play it because you love it and you want to do it. So, you know, that was kind of my mindset growing up. And um, but I don't think I ever realized how good my dad actually was until um, my high school, like my high school career. And uh, I went back and watched all his film, all his tapes, and I was like, man, he's, he was actually pretty good. Like these people aren't just saying this, you know. <laughs> Exactly. Overall, number one pick. Uh, think about specifically one of the best players in college basketball history, in my opinion, and a great NBA player as well. And for you to follow in his footsteps, what an amazing thing. Now tell me about, could dad get up back in the day? You probably are a better dunker than him, right, Glenn? Yeah, you know, he could, he could get up, but he even he admitted, I'm, a, I'm a definitely a better dunker than he was and uh, you know, I don't think that he could have won a won a dunk contest. That wasn't really his thing. So tell me how you kind of practiced for those slam dunk champions to be in slam dunk contests. What con- did you always like to do the fancy dunks? Um, dunking when I was growing up, I always wanted to dunk. And I was like, I, I was so focused on dunking. You know, my my grandma always told me you need to focus on your shot and get better at basketball. Stop trying to dunk. So it was a while when I, whenever I was. Uh, my sophomore year was my first time I dunked. After that, I really stopped. You know, I stopped trying to dunk. I wasn't doing tricks anymore. So, uh, kind of when the when the idea was brought up to me to be in a dunk contest, I was like, you know, I haven't practiced since like sophomore year of high school, so I'm not I'm not too sure. But you know, I got a couple of ideas from teammates and you know other guys, and then Paul, you know, suggested that I dunk over him, and uh, I was like, awesome, let's let's do it. So, you know, I practiced probably about three times and. You know, I was so – I was pretty good at it, and I was just like, all right, we'll take this into the competition. And like I said, Paul did a great job of helping me with some ideas too. You know, it's, what's amazing about the slam dunk is I think that this year's slam dunk is bringing it back to the days of Michael Jordan, Dominique Wilkins, and all of them. So hopefully you can defend the title next year. Let's hope you can get – you decide to do it and continue, even though you're continue to become such a great player and stay in the dunk contest because it's such an important part of the game, in my opinion. Definitely it is, you know, and there's a lot of uh, kids, you know, who will be growing up in the next generation. And 
Um, I think that it's important that, you know, like you said, the Stars continue to stay in a dunk contest and in different competitions, you know, because All-Star Weekend is such a great event. All right, let's go to the – let's go now. I watched game three, and uh, I'm a Cavs fan because I'm in Pittsburgh and right down the road's Cleveland and always been a Cleveland Cavs fan. Now, what is the reason that the Warriors are so unbelievable? I mean, is it just because they don't have a missing link on that team? You've played against both teams. What is your thought? Mm-hmm. You know, what I see with the Warriors is, you know, they're, they're all committed to the same thing, and that's winning. They don't care. You know who who scores, who who shoots, who passes, as long as it's the right play. You know, and I think that um, when you have superstars who will buy into that and are willing to play in the right way, and you know, not get let anything get in the way, you think that you can be as dominant as them. And you know, yeah, they do have four four all stars on their team, and uh, you know, adding uh, adding KD who has has really been a separation factor, but. Um, I think that really the biggest thing with the Warriors is they're all uh, willing to buy into winning. How do they – I mean, that's that's something that you see more in college basketball, don't you, Glenn, than the pros sometimes? You do. You do. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot of people say that, you know, NBA players don't play defense, but, you know, the games, it's, it's that much harder to play defense, you know, and you got guys who can score the ball like them. It's that much harder to play. And, um, you know, I think that when they, when they all – um, buy into that same thing. Like I said, um, you know, it's it's tough to beat a team like that, especially a professional team. Exactly. And you look at specifically Cleveland and you look at how unbelievable LeBron is. How do you guys shut down LeBron when you get the opportunity to try to do it so that you can uh, have the chance of beating the Cavs or whatever? What do you do? You bottle up LeBron and uh, Kyrie and let someone else beat, beat, beat you when you guys played them? Yeah. Yeah, you know, you got to – LeBron's, you know, going to be great. He's going to, you know, get his numbers. He's going to be uh, – play really well. But he's also what makes – he's what makes them go, you know. So if uh, you try to, to put the pressure on some of the other guys to make plays and, uh, you know, some of the other guys to, you know, to, to, to make the plays for the Cavs, you know, that's that's really how you – not I don't want to say stop them, but that's really, you know, how you kind of got to look at it because LeBron's always going to be dominant. You know, I can't think of a game where he didn't, uh, you know, play – you know, terrible and not do anything. So um, the idea I kind of see with the Warriors as well is, you know, let other guys make some of the plays and uh, LeBron's going to do his thing. And the reason Cleveland won last year is they played small ball and matched up. But now when you have KD, it's, you can't do that anymore because KD will just post up and score all the time. It just changes the whole dynamic of this uh, series. Exactly. And he's a seven foot guard, you know, so, uh, a lot of people were, were questioning him and, you know, wondering where he was, if he was, you know, uh, ready for the stage. And um, I think that he's he's in here with the mindset that he's proven everyone wrong. Well, I know you got to be excited now. And so I'm not going to throw you out in the prediction because I know that'll be bulletin board material next year, Glenn. I know you'll be rooting maybe for the East Eastern Conference and see that this series ends up becoming a series, but we don't want any bulletin board material for next year. Let's talk about your shoe now. The, um, the All City 5 shoe. Um, tell us about specifically, it's going to be available exclusively in store at the Edition Boutique. Is that cool to have a shoe? You got to be excited about that. It definitely is. You know, um, so I'm, I'm signed with uh, Dwayne Wade's uh, brand with Leaning. It's a Chinese brand. 
And uh, he had a kind of vision of creating a shoe that was comfort and, uh, you know, with style because that's how he is off the court, you know. And he wanted to add young guys with style and having the same vision, you know. So it was pretty cool. You know, he gave me the opportunity to, you know, help design my own shoe. And uh, it has my logo on it. And it also, um, it's Pacers color. So it's available at uh, wayofway.com. And, um, you know, it's just been an honor to work with uh, Dwayne and uh, really learn so much, not only on the court, but off the court as far as business and, you know, his whole mentality um, off the court as well with fashion and everything. So, um, you know, it's, it's really been a pleasure. I mean, I tell you, it's it's uh, it's uh, it's fantastic for you to have your own shoe. And we can go to wadeofway.com right now, Glenn, and, and and check out the shoe. Is that correct? Yes, sir. That's correct. We have weight. Awesome. And we can follow you on Twitter, social media-wise. I'm sure you'll be tweeting about the game and different things. Yep, I'll be We're, tweeting tonight. You know, you guys can follow me at, on Twitter at uh, GR3 and Instagram at GlennRob3. And, uh, yeah, I'll be tweeting about the game and looking forward to it tonight. You want it to go seven, right, just to make it an exciting for the, the NBA for a chance. <laughs> You never give up with LeBron. I don't. I won't give up yet. Yeah, there's, there's a uh, in the league. You know, one thing that I noticed, and uh, it applies to the final as well. But any game in the league is never over till it's over. You know, especially when you got a guy named LeBron James on your team. You know, it's, it's not over to, to the fat lady sings as they say. So, uh, we shall see. But yeah, it would be. I would love to see it go to seven because these games have been so, so interesting. Exactly. All right, Glenn, good luck on next season. Good luck on your shoe, and thanks for calling. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Take care, Glenn. See you. Thanks. All right, take care. See you. Bye. You're listening to the Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Neil Haley Show. You can check me out on Twitter, at TittleTutor and NeilHaley.com, and I'm excited to welcome the program, former North Carolina star and NBA star and now Big Three star, Rashad McCants. Rashad, how are you, and thanks for calling. And I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, Rashad. Let's kind of go, you know, back. What do you think your greatest memory playing for the North Carolina Tar Tar Heels? Can you take us back? My greatest memory as a Tar Heel had to be uh, hitting the game-winning shot against the number one team, uh, the UConn Huskies, and um, solidifying ourselves as a ranked team back then. It was uh, one of my best moments, hitting the game-winner one of the things I can remember most. And uh, also just winning national championships. Definitely the national championship is right there. Absolutely. You winning that national championship. You can think about last night and seeing that feeling that Golden State had winning winning it all and that feeling when you're the champion. It's it's an unbelievable feeling, isn't it, walking off knowing you're the, cha- you're, you're the champion. Absolutely. Especially after the hard work and dedication that you put into the game, watching a guy like Kevin Durant, get his first title and watching Steph Curry go out there and get his second, you know, just being excited for those guys is just a special moment for everybody. What do you think, Rashad, of the changes in the game, even when you played to now? Do you like it better the way it's more open court, three points, uh, just a lot more versatility on the floor? Um, I would say that my game suits today's game more than it did back then. Um, it was more organized when I was playing. There's a lot of strategy and structure. I think now they went away from that and allow guys to just kind of do what they do best and, you know, shoot the ball and entertain the fans. So I think I could play really good in this type of format. 
Absolutely. When you get you you have all that talent, and then they make you just make sure that you're uh, you know passing the ball to the right person, and then you know running uh, these difficult offenses. Now it's about passing, looking for the open man, and giving an opportunity whoever can score score. Then it was not that kind of play. It was like okay, structure, dribble the ball down. Yeah, make a couple passes, and then we have a set play for a certain player, right? Right, right, and that—that's the—I think that's the more of the frustration for the older players as they watch the game because we were so strategic with how we played. We knew how to, you know, shut certain guys down when they got hot, and uh, we knew how to expose different guys who couldn't play defense. So nowadays, it's, you can hide players on defense. You can show players who really don't have as much skill they can you know be um they can be utilized in a smaller set offense where you don't have to do as much structure it's just way different it's definitely way different wow and now the great idea that ice cube formed big three i think is fantastic because i love playing three on three basketball tournaments i was a former college player i played division three at western maryland and the, the three-on-three game is a fun game, isn't it, Rashad? It really is because it really shows the oh, creativity man. of the player and really who are the best one-on-one players in a three-on-three time game, right? Absolutely. You definitely have to have that IQ to be a great three-on-three player. you got to know what you're doing. Your teammates have to know what they're doing. And you also have to have a little bit of game yourself. You, you, can, get, you can get exposed if you can't play defense or you can't play. Uh, offense so um, it's one of the things that you have to have both and then I love about this game is I looked at the the former NBA players that are in this league and it's an amazing thing to think that you guys uh, continue can continue to play in three on three a little longer than full court right what's the reasoning for that then you know when you're playing a full court game explain that to our listeners you know full court basketball 82 games 48 minutes, I mean, that takes a toll on the body if anybody has ever done it before. And if you haven't, you should try it. Um, Three-on-three half court, first to 60 points, 14-second shot clocks is a big difference. You get to save your body. Uh, We play once a week. So um, as older guys, we definitely take advantage of just cherishing our body and, and, and our temples and making sure that we are rest and recover for the next game. And 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 the rules. I played lots of three on three Rashad. Is there some different rules in this league than you know all the three on three tournaments you've been in your career and all the three on three tournaments I've been? It's a little different, kind of nuanced, especially to put on television and make it so it's got to be really exciting. I three on three can be exciting, but to keep the game really moving fast. Yeah, I think the four point shot is is what makes it that excitement and that fast paced. A style that we both would uh, would love in three on three. Um, I think the 35 foot four point shot is going to be the biggest thing because not everybody can shoot that far out. And um, also hand checking, to be able to hand check makes it a lot more difficult for offensive players to get around and do what they want. So not as many fouls are going to be called. So you just got to be tough out there. Yeah, I remember. No, it's it's a it's a mixture of street ball and also organized ball, and the fact that sometimes these three on three tournaments, they get real. You you really are banging out there. So Rashad, you'll have to play a post position during certain plays 
more comparably because there's not as much room on the floor. So you're going to see a little bit more big big man moves. You're going to see a little bit more of yeah. that wear and tear. That, I mean, the, the banging of the top players and and real one-on-one rivalries are going to develop, aren't they? Yes, yes, yes. And that's the exciting part about the basketball league that we have is you're going to see the passion of the players, offense and defensively. You know, be able to go down there and bang, to drive with force, and uh, to shoot with precision. I think that's the best part about what we bring to the table is you got high-level guys who know how to play, get to show their passion in front of, you know, a national crowd. And, Rashad, question, you were the number one pick. How did – how did the, the teams again? What's also cool are the cool coaches, and I'll I'll mention that in a second. But how do they think that you were the number one pick overall in this whole league? What reasoning? How do they feel well, you're still a ball? Yeah. <laughs> well, we went through a draft process where um, for for a day we got to showcase our talents in two on two, one on one, and three on three um, situations. And uh, I had prepared, man. I, I prepared two, three months before, just really training hard as I can and getting the best shape possible. Um, and when you show up and you pass the look test one and then you go out there and you're shooting and driving and dominating the guys that's out there, uh, it's a no-brainer for them to choose a guy who can help their team win. And I think that uh, Al Harrington and Kenya Martin and Coach Rick Mahorn, they uh, made the best decision for their team. Amazingly enough, the coaches, again, uh, are Allen Iverson, Gary Payton, George Gervin, Julius Irving, Rick Mahorn, Rick Berry, Clyde Drexler, and Charles Oakley with a lot of known former NBA players. I think a lot of these guys, some of them probably still played some ball in Europe or finished playing ball in Europe, that they love that there's a new platform to, to continue their career a little longer, right? And how and show that I hey, agree. I'm the best one-on-one talent. I just can't go up and down the floor, 82 games a year anymore with the I young agree. guys. I agree, and I I believe these guys still believe that they can play 82 games as well. I don't think there's going to be a player in the big three that you're going to be uh, that you're going to be able to say that they don't think they can do it. And uh, they're out here to, to prove the same thing. They see the game in the NBA and where we are generationally. And they want to get back out there and, and show some veteran leadership and give some type of mentorship to these young guys. And especially as we know the politics were shot in the NBA, a lot of guys go to Europe after the NBA, you know, and make some good money. But the fans that of those players in college ball and said, why didn't they have such a great NBA career? Now they have a platform to prove themselves on the United States stage again, on television, Fox Sports One and Fox and having this, platform now where they can perform for their fans because there's a lot of these players were either their fans of them playing in the NBA or also playing in college as their as the, one of their yeah, favorite players. I, I agree. I agree. And um, that's the sole purpose of the league is to give guys who have a fan base who were pretty good in college, who were pretty good and, and the pros no longer playing but still can, still can light it up. This is exactly why this whole platform was provided for us, so that we can still, you know, monetize and capitalize on on our fan base. All right, well, fantastic, Rashad. Best place we can find information on you. Again, August 26th is the league championship. People could check out 
uh, Big Three. Where can we go to find out information on Big Three and also yourself? Uh, you can go to Big3.com, find out the schedule, get your tickets at the local um, arena, that the cities that we'll be in. You can also find me on Instagram, at Rashad McCann. So give me a shout, and uh, thank you for having me on. Hey Rashad, I'm gonna watch, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna enjoy watching uh, the game on television, and I know people need to go check it out and see their favorite players and all the different places you guys will be traveling to. And best of luck. I hope it's a success because I love three on three basketball. That's something I still could probably play at 43 or 44, but full court, forget about it. But I'll I'll, I'll watch you guys <laughs> play and it'll get me motivated to get back on the court again. Okay, Rashad, good talking, to you, man. Yes, sir. All right, see you. Thanks. Okay, take care. All right, see you later. Bye. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Neil Haley Show. You can check me out on Twitter at TotalTutor and NeilHaley.com. And I got someone on the line that has some secrets. I cannot, I'm going to explain why I say that at the beginning, but he has a tremendous movie out right now. So I'm excited to welcome the program, Colin Trevorrow of the book of Henry. Colin, thanks for calling. How are you? How are you, man? Thanks for having me. Absolutely, Colin. Uh, you got to be excited about the story, the cast that you directed, and, and just this group in general. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm excited about how audiences are responding to this. You know, you make you make a movie for an audience, and and you you make your you make your place your bets uh, about whether it's going to connect on that on that deep emotional level, whether people are going to feel suspense, they're going to feel excitement, uh, and uh, and audiences are, are loving this film. And uh, I've, I've never gotten more joy out of out of watching people watch a movie uh, than I have out of this one. Well, that's got to be ex- exciting for you, especially with some of the other things you've directed and, and produced in, right? Yeah, and I, you know, I, I loved watching people watch those movies too. I, I, it's, it's one of my favorite things to do. You know, when the T Rex shows up, I love that. I love that cheer that happens uh, when the time machine disappears. I love that, and uh, and this has those kind of moments too. I think people just get locked in, and they love these characters, and they want to know what's going to happen to them, even though it's it's arguably on the smallest scale. Uh, because there's no sci-fi in it, you know, there's there's no dinosaurs, there's no spaceships uh, of anything that I've done. Uh, it's it's something that is it's it's intense and it's emotional and it's exciting. It, it definitely is. So it's about the Carpenter family and uh, the, a single mother who is a waitress that that works in a diner. So uh, tell us, you know, a little bit of more of that story. But it's a kind of a single mother working hard to take care of her kids and the, and, and these relationships around that. Right. Yeah. That's the first, that's the first 10 minutes. And then, and then it, uh, and then it goes, so it's, you know, it's, it's Naomi Watts, a single mom. And she's got these two boys and, uh, the older one is, is a pretty highly intelligent kid. And he, uh, he recognizes that, uh, something horrible has happened next door. The police commissioner, uh, and his stepdaughter live next door and he has a, a real rage about it. He's got a sense of, of, uh, a need to, uh, to not be apathetic and, and to stop it. And so he puts together a plan, uh, that he writes in his book uh, of how to, uh, of how to right this wrong, and ultimately his mom gets dragged into this plot as well, and uh, it goes to some really unexpected places that we've uh, we've been lucky enough to not reveal. Uh, but uh, it it doesn't uh, it doesn't go the way anyone thinks it might, based on uh, how the movie begins. 
Oh, it, it definitely doesn't, and that's why I, I, I could see there's a lot of uh, secretiveness to this in a way because of the storyline. What is that? What happened that kind of changed the whole story of this? Question, the Book of Henry, is, uh, was that ever a book just because of the, the title of the movie? No, it was it was written by a novelist. This uh, this guy named Greg Hurwitz, who who's got a bunch of novels. That uh, pretty pretty well known thriller author, uh, and it, yeah, it just happens to have it in the title. But it is it is quite old. It's it's it was written 20 years ago, uh, and has existed uh, in various forms ever since then. Um, and and it's just one of those things that it just kind of feels like an an old ancient story. It feels like a Bible story, or even more recently, like a Grimm's fairy tale that that deals with some of the darker aspects of life uh, in as a parable. And uh, you know, it's it's not a it's not a, a message movie. It doesn't try to teach us anything. It it really is just about the power of community and how we have to look out for each other uh, and take care of each other. Absolutely. And what is the? Re- I think a lot of times, even when people write books they don't really want to give any of the plot line away because they have to wait and see for sure right and and this especially for this one was that something you chose or the team chose what was the reasoning because sometimes we get an entire storyline and everything expectations before we even get to the film well, it's something I asked for, and the studio was was uh, generous enough to uh, to go along with. Uh, you know, we're we don't have our premiere until Wednesday, and we're we're trying to hold back everything. You know, in, until after that, uh, and then of course there's nothing you can do, and people are going to know about what happens. But uh, I really wanted people to be able to go in fresh and and have the experience that audiences have had so far, where they just don't really know what's going to happen, because it's it's part of what's just fun about the movie is that it, it shifts and it changes, and uh, and that's what's exhilarating for people so I want to make sure they have that experience you know people, trailers just tell you everything these days yeah you know, exactly and also what really interesting thing Colin I see of your cast is again Maddie Ziegler uh, from Dance Moms Pittsburgh person uh, uh, so Pittsburgh has to be proud of Maddie's development to an actress now you yeah. know from just dancing to an actress did you enjoy working with her oh she was incredible and, and she has a pretty pretty large crucial role in the film it's it's not a it's not just a cameo and, and she really you know she dances in the movie but uh you know her acting is is uh really impressive for someone who's never been on camera before and and the dance itself uh is is really the foundation for the whole climax of the film uh it's it's a big part of the story oh wow wow and and, and all this uh for sure and so the premiere is wednesday and then it will be available in theaters when are the expectation for people that want to check out the Book of Henry and stuff. When will it be available in theaters? Uh, just it comes out Friday. I know there's a couple screenings Thursday night, uh, and it's you know it's all around the country, and and people can uh, people can get out and check it out. And I really, I really hope they will. You know, I I, I took a big risk with this movie personally just because it is so different. I, I've really never seen a movie like it, and you know you make a movie like Jurassic World and you can just, you think you could just take your bucket of chips and just sort of back out of the casino and run away. But, uh, I doubled down cause I, I really, uh, I really felt this was a story worth telling. Yeah. I, it's definitely a story, uh, worth telling from what I, I gather and a great cast you're working with. And I think when I brought up the end of the secret is that you have one of the biggest secrets that everyone wants to know, Colin, and that's, and that's being involved in the new star Wars. That's the finished question That's I right. wanted to ask. How many people are just trying to say, hey, let me take you out for a drink, Colin? Can you give me any idea? Because you know how many Star Wars nerds are out there. They're all over the place, aren't they? I try not to drink much anymore. 
just because of that reason alone. Uh, but you know, and even even my kids are are wondering. Uh, but you know that that's a bit of a ways off. We we've all got a movie we're going to go see this Christmas called The Last Jedi, which will take us forward in the story. So uh, you know, once once we watch that and enjoy that very much, which I know we will, then we'll uh, we'll move on to what's next. Oh wow! Isn't it quick? Isn't it amazing how they just they get get them going? And it's such a, just an amazing brand, isn't Colin? The, the Star Wars brand. It is, and you know, yeah. What what Kathy Kennedy has done is is remarkable, and I think we're really going to start to feel, uh, you know, just the true power uh, of this battle station. As, as she is, uh, she's really managed to uh, to find stories to tell with all of these filmmakers and filmmakers to come that I know will be entertaining generations to come. It's it's exciting. All right, the Book of Henry's in theaters on Friday. Colin, is there a place we can check you out? Are you on social media that people can connect with you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter. I show up there occasionally. All right, so people can check you out. Is your, your name, yeah. that's it on Twitter? Awesome. Yep, just Colin well, Trevorrow. That's Colin Trevorrow, well, that's me. You're awesome, Colin. Thanks for calling. Best of luck with this film, and good luck with your career, and thanks for chatting with me today. I appreciate it. All right, thanks so much, man. Take care. I take your call. See ya. Thanks again. Bye. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Neil Haley Show. You can check me out on Twitter at TotalTutor and NeilHaley.com, and I'm excited to welcome the program celebrity comedian John Fugelsang of Page Six TV. John, thanks for calling. How are you? Oh, Neil, thanks very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, John. I did my own investigation journalism on you in your career, and... For our listeners, I guess this is going to be my uh, front page story. John was the co-host of America's Funniest Home Videos. That's that, that brings you back, doesn't it? Uh, you know, I, I set out to have the most schizophrenically crazy resume I could possibly have, and that's one of uh, one of my favorite credits I've done. <laughs> Absolutely, John. So you were an actor, and that, and then how did you get involved in like political commentary and hosting and all that kind of stuff? Did it? developed from after the experience with America's Funniest Home Videos? No, I was actually, I was, I was always a stand-up and grew up loving George Carlin and Richard Pryor and Dick Gregory and, and Bill Hicks. And, uh, and, and my dad was a history teacher, so I sucked at sports. Talking about politics was a way to earn his love. But um, really, uh, you know, I've always done a lot of political humor. And when I was doing uh, Funny Home Videos, I was doing Bill Maher's show all the time when I lived in L.A., and so it's sort of continued over the years. I do a lot of political stuff on my Sirius XM show every day uh, on MSNBC or CNN and, and on tour. Um, I do a, a couple of different political comedy tours. But I was at a point last year where I, I thought, you know what, I'm kind of burned out on how divided Americans are and all this political rancor. And wouldn't it be great to do a show where you could get your right wing friends and your left wing friends together and unite everyone in making fun of Justin Bieber and the Kardashians. So I'm hoping that this show is where the healing will finally begin with that. Well, I agree. I think that it's great when political commentary is just joking around, but people get their feelings hurt so much. Uh, and and it, it should be just all about laughs, and it isn't. But it's always fun to make fun of celebrities. That's that's a fun thing, right, John? That's the, something we can laugh about, all of us together, saying, thank goodness we didn't do that. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, my whole goal with the show was, it was for it not to be mean, you know, to like make fun of all the Steve Verdigos out there and, and have fun with this stuff 
but to avoid, you know, kicking someone when they're down or, or being cruel to anybody. Uh, so hopefully we'll, we'll walk the right balance. It is a very smart show, and our panelists are all true Hollywood insiders who have access to celebrities and know things that other people don't. You'll get a lot of really fun info about these stories on the air. But we have a live studio audience, and it's also going to be, I think, uh, a really, really entertaining mix of, of uh, smart and silly. Exactly. And in, in under that celebrity format, the cool thing I like is the worst week ever segment. So a celebrity that has the worst week, right? That's one of the things that you're going to really highlight on the show. Yes. And I promise it won't be Donald Trump every single week. I promise I won't let them do that. <laughs> so it could be because Trump could win every week and then the show gets canceled, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah, probably, or America gets canceled. We'll see which one happens first. But, you know, like in the case of, uh, like, a Lindsay Lohan, I mean, you know, she's someone who I think the media was really mean to for a long time. I, I kind of feel like we have, uh, we're sort of addicted to addicts in this country, and we're really kind of addicted to watching addicts screw up. So I'm actually happy that she's doing well. She got away from her uh, unhealthy engagement. She has her own jewelry line and a new TV show, and you know, I, I'm actually pleased. I think it's positive in that sense. You know, Lin, Lindsay Lohan, y- you know she's not in trouble unless her father is trying to cash in on it somehow. So uh, hopefully we'll be able to walk the line of making fun of this stuff without kicking people when they're down. So the writers, everyone has to kind of really hit the news quickly, right? Because that worst week ever can happen just when we least expect it, right? You got that right. Exactly. Um but again, with a reality show star in the White House, there's no more wall between entertainment and state. So it's going to be it's going to be pretty crazy. I mean, right now, exactly. Just seeing, just seeing Taylor Swift having this beef with Katy Perry. What is that about? That's depressing. I know. I don't remember Joni Mitchell coming out calling Janis Joplin a skank. Come on, not funny. So hopefully, we'll let the healing begin with this show. Exactly. And and the thing that the word, why did it come up the name page six? Explain that the uh, the New York Post page six and that's how this whole uh, TV show got the the idea, right? From that process. Yeah, for over a generation, for for a couple of generations now, page six has been the go-to place for celebrity information in uh, in New York tabloids. And, you know, they talked for years about doing a TV show about it. I mean, everyone in the industry reads it, all the publicists and celebrities read it. Uh, I've been mentioned in page six a couple of times in my career. It's always been for nice things. Uh, they came to me last summer and said, we're, we're turning it into a TV show. And we, uh, we did three weeks of a, a test run with a live studio audience. And it wound up being an incredibly fun and really popular show. So uh, we got picked up, and it's going to be in 96% of American households now. And I think when people are done watching us fight each other on the news, they'll be in the mood to come and laugh together on page six. Exactly. So anyone's fair game to have the worst week ever then, it sounds like, John. Oh, absolutely. Now, absolutely, yes. And this is – page six is not just about entertainment. It's also open to sports and politics and, and even real estate and socialites. It's got a real New York vibe uh, and a really different kind of perspective on these stories because traditionally on TV, it's always just been the, the Hollywood entertainment roundup, and we're trying to do a, something a bit more sophisticated so we're wearing all black and chain-smoking the whole time. So you're completely a, a, an opposite to TMZ. And then the other thing, John, that you hope is not to make it so you're hurting the people so much on this show. It's more about we're going to have fun, we're going to laugh, but we're not going to hurt them at the end, in the long run because, like, 
specific shows, like I just said, that just tear people apart. That's not what you want. You just want people, because of the country and the way we're going as a country, we have to just come together, right? And that's the goal, what you said, of this show, and that that um you know we just don't want we don't want this we want we want people to have a place to turn on the tv and say i'm here to laugh i'm not going to think about uh, yeah all the, exactly all the we, we, we have to happening. we have to recognize that yeah we, we share a common humanity and i would never denigrate or tear down or humiliate anyone just for a cheap laugh unless they were a politician so who's on your panel john who else is on the panel for page six TV. Well, Bevy Smith, who uh, your your listeners might know from Bravo and uh, and Radio Andy on Sirius XM, she's a fabulous fashion expert. Elizabeth Wagmeister is a writer for Variety. Carlos Greer is a gossip columnist for Page Six TV, who manages to get behind the velvet rope more than anybody I've ever seen in my life. And these three people all have a lot of ties with celebrities and publicists and you know i mean uh, the rock text elizabeth wagmeister in the middle of our lunch meetings so they really really do have an inside scoop on things we're also going to have an extra spot on the panel as a plus one for different comedians all of whom will be national uh, headliners who are coming on to uh, help me make fun of all this stuff it's really really a fun show mario cantone did our three-week test run last year and we're really looking forward to getting more funny people to be part of the Page Six experience. So the way you're going to film this, John, is basically you guys will tape every week uh, on with a live studio audience. Is that how it's going to work? Uh, it's actually a daily show. We're on five days a week. Five days. Oh, wow. Okay. So that means that you're going to have to basically always be on it. But I guess the New York Post is this, used to this, right? Their Page Six is every day. Wow. It's going to be pretty crazy. I'll be making fun of politicians on my Sirius XM show and making fun of celebrities on page six. Uh, so I'll, I'll pretty much be the most uh, the most played out person at the water cooler. But um, it's uh, for me, it's really fun to just get a chance to, you know, in the midst of a time when our country is so divided to do a TV show that's really mainstream, but still edgy and funny and uh, with a real sharp point of view. I think people are going to find it very refreshing. All right, where can we check you out, John? Again, you're on. You said you're on Sirius every day and all that stuff. Your show just to promote you and what you're doing as well. Where's the best place we can find information on you too, John? Thank you. Well, yeah, I'm touring right now around the country with Stephanie Miller for a political comedy tour. My website is uh, at is uh, johnfegelsang.com at johnfegelsang on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, the Sirius XM Insight Channel 121 every day, Monday through Friday in the afternoons. And, uh, and then Page Six TV launches five days a week on your local Fox affiliate come this fall. So local Fox affiliate. So I, I, has to I, check I, that I work a lot because I have a five. Go, yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, sir. No, you, you go. go oh, I was just going to say I've just worked constantly because I have a five-year-old and I need to provide for him by never seeing him. <laughs> All right, John. Well, thanks for calling. Enjoyed the convo. Can't wait to check out Page Six TV. And thanks for taking the time today. Hey, what a pleasure. Look forward to bothering you again soon. Take care. Oh, it sounds good, John. Thanks. Take care. See ya. Thanks. Okay. Bye bye. You're listening to Neil Haley's show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Neil Haley Show. You can check me out on Twitter at TotalTutor. And NeilHaley.com, and I'm excited to welcome the program Celebrity Apprentice winner, New York Times bestselling author, Lisa Gibbons. Lisa, thanks for calling. How are you? I'm doing just great. How about yourself? Fantastic, Lisa. You know, I started thinking about uh, just 
how much of a great advocate you are when it comes to Alzheimer's, to advocacy, helping people less fortunate. You're just doing some tremendous work for you. Thank you for that encouragement. That that means a lot to me because it has become a, a, a real passion of mine. And, um, you know, I lost my mom, my grandma to Alzheimer's, but I've, I've spent about 15 years with um, with family care partners, you know, the, just the husbands and the wives and the, the sons and daughters that take care of someone they love um, who's got a chronic illness or someone um, who has a, a, a disease. And that's hard, that's hard work, but, wow, are those some, some strong, resilient incredible people, and it just gives me a lot of inspiration. Well, when you think of being a caregiver advocate, Lisa, it's something that is pretty, pretty, pretty amazing in so many ways, Lisa, because think about, specifically enough, how many people, after they're done taking care of their own children, it's time to take care of their parents, right? Right. Well, yeah, and you know, uh, caring for elderly parents is a is a tough one too because we want to honor our parents' independence as they get older. And for me, you know, I'm very fortunate to still have my dad. He's 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 strong and funny and my hero at 88 years old. But he lives alone um, in the house where he lived with my mom, and she's been gone since 2008. And I worried about dad, so. I gave my dad a Phillips Lifeline medical alert service, and I think this is a really great option of ways to use technology to help keep our seniors safe and to keep them independent um, and, and to help us not worry about them so much. So here's a way for him to know that he's got help 24-7, that he's never alone, um, so that if he gets, if he falls or if he gets locked out of the house, um, or if he's got, you know, bad weather coming in or any other reason that he feels he needs to push that button, um, he's connected. And it's really important for seniors to stay connected because when they, when they isolate or when they're lonely, they're at greater risk for mental decline, for Alzheimer's. They're at greater risk for physical problems. So this has been one of the greatest things that I've been able to do and, and to give my dad. So. Um, so I'm suggesting it to all my friends as a Father's Day gift or um, any time that you want to really give a great present to someone that you love. I think this is a great thing to give them uh, this Phillips Lifeline Medical Alert Service. Well, absolutely. Uh, and, and tell us uh, some, some of the, the, the more, more about it. So basically you have that 24-hour uh, monitoring. What happens when yes. someone falls? There's, there's several options you can choose for, with the service. And if you have what they call, you can get home safe, you can get home safe with auto alert which will automatically detect your fall. So if, if you um, are disoriented or if you pass out um, and you can't push the button, this will automatically call for help for you. And what my dad has is something called GoSafe. So he wears it around his neck, underneath his shirt, just like a little pendant. Um, you can also get a bracelet for him, but his is around his neck, so he can wear it in the shower. He can wear it out on the lake. Um, he can wear it in all 50 states, and um, and it has GPS technology. So um, if he's, like, my dad still drives, and if he ran into a ditch or something, for example, um, and he was passed out for a second, 
you know, the cops aren't coming, but but his his GPS, his ghost safe, would automatically call for help and um, and signal that someone needed to go find him, and they could locate him. Um, you know, very accurately. So that gives me great peace of mind that my dad is never going to be alone somewhere without anyone knowing that he's there. So that to me is just a great, a great way to use technology so that your senior can be really independent and, you know, go out there and live their lives. Absolutely. Go out and live your life and everything. And I think the fact of the matter is that your father's still so active. So people out there that are a little concerned when they know that their parents are so active and they're going to fall or certain things, what to ha- what an amazing thing to have this. It's not like, okay, they're you know, stuck in their house all the time and they just push a button. They have the ability now to go anywhere they want to go throughout the country or, you know, to anything from the grocery stores or on the lake or anywhere and know that they're, be- they- they're being monitored. So that's the big difference is that that technology that they can still enjoy the life that they lived years ago. And it makes and you have that safe idea that I, I know my dad's being safe now. That's the thing. They they can have the life that they want to have. Go fishing, go to church, go to the grocery store, go play cards, whatever it is that they want to do, they should be able to do that and not worry. Um, what if they have an anxiety attack? What if, um, you know, what if something happens? They can just put that out of their minds, and you can put it out of your mind. So um, I think it's just a really great way to, um, you know, to be independent and to know that you're going to really be engaged in life. And that's, you know, that's being, we're, we're hardwired to be social. That's how we're supposed to be, and so this allows you to do that. All right, Lisa, where's the best place we can find information on Phillips Medical and stuff, working alert services? Where can we go? Um, PhillipsLifeline.com. Uh, you can get more information on um, which is the best service for you, find out about their medication dispenser, um, all kinds of great technology and uh, ways to make your life easier and safer. Awesome. And last thing, any news, any other new things to report, Lisa, what's going on with you? Oh, I'm just, I am just, I'm, I'm totally, um, just blessed, and life is abundant and happy, and all, all is well with me. Thank you for asking. Oh, sure. Okay. Well, thanks again for calling. Best of luck in uh, all your ventures. Take care. Thank you, Neil. Bye. Thanks. Okay. Okay. See you later. Okay. Bye. Bye. You're listening to Neil Haley's show. We'll be back in just a moment. 